and welcome to Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And this is episode 88, um, which feels like an impossible number. Two fat ladies. Two fat ladies. Two fat ladies. Okay. If that yeah. means anything to people outside of the UK. Yeah. Love a game of bingo. Um, and today we are going to start off with talking about blurb or no blurb, which shockingly was my idea um, that Simon accepted <laughs> as being a good idea, which I never did. happened. Can I just say? Put it in the I'm diary, everyone. Very bullied. Um, <laughs> so we're going to be um, thinking about do we like to read books not knowing about what they're about at all, or do we like to have done our research before we pick up a volume? And then in the second part, we're going to be pitting two books by the same author, Kazuo Shiguro, against each other. So The Remains of the Day and um, Never Let Me Go, which is going to be an interesting discussion, I think. Yeah. Two books mm-hmm. published during our lifetime, just. I know. When has this ever happened? <laughs> so um, first of all, Simon, how are you? What are you reading? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. Um I am enjoying the sort of last days of summer, whatever this might oh. be. It's very sunny at the moment, as we record. Very sunny, yes. Um, by the time I edit it, it might be cold, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am reading Jack by Marilyn Robinson. Oh, you started. I started because um, we both did our pre-order and it's arrived. I hope yours also arrived. Like, um, yeah. Long before the publication date, supposedly the 29th of September, and mine arrived, I think, on the ninth or something yeah i think maybe it was published earlier in the u.s because we both ordered the u.s edition so we were so horrified horrified. by the ugliness of the uk edition which i was very surprised to see when you put that on twitter that so many people preferred the uk edition any one person was on our side everyone else was sure that we'd prefer the ugly green shoes cover ugly green shoes and i mean i can confirm having my own copy arrived also that it's an absolutely stunning edition i think beautiful dust jacket yeah i think even when we were comparing before i didn't i didn't love this cover i just really disliked the other one whereas but i actually like it more in person yeah it's lovely yeah. And um, I think I understood correctly from the website of the US publisher, which I want to say is Faro Strugira or something. <laughs> it's probably not that. Three because... <laughs> very complicated names altogether. Yeah. Um, they've they've designed this dust jacket for the fourth in the series of Gilead books, in case people don't know what we're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, and they've re they're going to reissue the three earlier books with the same kind of design as... as yeah, as and they're the, lovely, those other They're designs. very beautiful. They're based on Japanese illustrations, I think. Um, not quite sure what the connection is, but... <laughs> no, true. You know, it's a sure small it's town, Iowa. But yeah. yeah, whatever. <laughs> but um, it's, I think it's going to be a very nice set. I always actually, incidentally, I know I'm taking over your section where you're talking about yourself, but Classic, um, hey, let's make this about me. <laughs> um, I'm always surprised, actually, by how um, when you, you're reading a book that's part of a series and when that series has come out over several years, mm. um, how they the books change in design as they go along. So when I went to buy um, The Mirror and the Light and I saw the new design that had they'd done for Hilary Mantle's book, it bears no relation to Wolf Fall or Bring Up the Bodies. Okay. Uh, and the three books together on my shelf, because I you know, bought each one as they came out, look horrific. Um, <laughs> they, they're they all ter- completely different designs that don't bear any relation to the others. And then I saw when I went into the bookshop the other day, I mean, I don't know why I didn't notice it when I bought the book originally, but um, they've now reissued Wolfhall and Bring Up the Bodies with a tie-in uh, dust bucket yeah. to go with the new one. And this is exactly what they've done with Gilead. And I think it's quite... Um, 
it's quite an intriguing problem when you've got a series that comes out over such a long time where yeah. tastes have obviously changed. So, you know, it's probably been over 10 years since Gilead was published. 15, and I think, or maybe 15, yeah. Maybe so tastes have changed, yeah. designs have changed. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's interesting to think about, you know, how that affects the publishing industry and how that affects the marketing of the book and what the book looks like. And then, you know, when if you want to set, you then have to go and rebuy them. Which and I'm very tempted to rebuy those new ones because they are beautiful. I can't well, really justify you know, it. You know my problem. Of is course, that, you've, given them, you've lent them and they've not come back. Yes, I know. I sent Simon a very sad text to tell him all about my um, my tragedy because I wanted to reread Gilead before I reread I read Jack and I lent it and it has not been returned. And I also lent Lila and um, I know that one will come back to me, so that's not a problem. But I don't know if Gilead will. And so now I'm just like, well, I might as well just buy them all in the new edition. Why not? Have to. And we're doing Gilead and Home in the next episode, I believe. Said, yep, so I need to add it. We're finally doing our Marilyn Robinson episode. Yeah. <laughs> yep. um, well, I won't say too much about Jack because I, um, I know you've not started it yet. How far into it are you? About um, nearly halfway. Oh, what? Gosh. Yeah, um, I definitely, and I'm loving it. It's the beginning. It reminds me a lot of the before um, sunset, before sunrise series of films. Interestingly, oh, okay. interesting. Um, which is I certainly a compliment. In a row, last summer in um, in the rain at um, outside the Somerset House at their film festival. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. so, some of my favourite films. I love those films. Oh, they are really good. They would have been nicer, perhaps, without being rained on. But... <laughs> You can say. British summer. What can you do? <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm reading that, and that's wonderful. It's just, yeah, it's just a wonderful experience when one of your favourite writers writes mm-hmm. something new, and an experience that I am not very familiar with because all my favourite writers are dead. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for being alive, Marilyn Robinson. Um, uh, I'm also doing some reading for the 1956 Club, which is the next in the series oh, of club okay. years that Karen and I run. Um, I'm reading Talk of the Devil by Frank Baker. Stop beating my headphones, <laughs> um, uh Talk of the Devil by Frank Baker of Miss Hargrave's fame. And how uh, is it? Um, like all his books that aren't Miss Hargrave's, not very good. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, it's also I'm halfway and I don't really know what it's about. Um, this guy's gone to Cornwall to, to see some old friends, but who, who may be the devil <laughs> or may not. May, may just have blackmailed someone. It's very unclear. Oh, I think the thing. Well, Miss Hargraves is also is quite metaphysical, but 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 very funny and quite you know the metaphysics is worn lightly. Whereas all his other books tend towards the abstract. He's obviously got something to say, but but it's not very clear what it is. Right. Um, it's probably one of his one of the better other ones I've read, but it's still. I mean, Miss Hargraves is so much better than anything else I've read by him. So not worth tracking down. Then. I don't think so, particularly unless it picks up a lot. But um, whilst mentioning Miss Hargraves, I must say I've already said thank you on Instagram, but I'll say thank you here to Heidi, who is a Teal Books listener, who bought uh, a lovely first US edition of Miss Hargraves when we talked about oh. it. Didn't like the book and posted it to me. So, well, what a lovely thank gift! You, I'd Heidi. love to see the front cover for that. Send it to yes, me later. I will do. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's not. It's not the same as the UK one, but it's not very different. Um, it's oh. yeah. It's got the half and it's got. How yeah, kind. I know, thank you, Heidi. What a treasure. Um, I'm sad that you didn't like Miss Hargraves, but for my benefit, I'm, I'm glad you didn't like it. <laughs> well, you know, 
I didn't. Well, what did, I did like it, didn't I? You yeah, did. I was annoyed about that. You were yeah. furious, yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how are you? Oh, and also, I'd love to know what you're reading, of course. But just before we started recording, you were telling me about your your new bookcases or bookcase singular, but potential future bookcases. Yes. So um, I've. My flatmates moved out, so I'm I'm now living alone, which is wonderful. Uh, not to say that I don't miss my flatmate, because you know we are very dear friends. I don't want her to listen and think, "Great, <laughs> good mate to get rid of me." It's not true. I love you still. Um, but and so I'm transforming her room into a study, um, where I'm going to have my sort of writing space, thinking space, doing space, um, and also preparing for any future lockdown, which will inevitably happen, I'm sure. Um, so I've actually got somewhere nice to teach from online and so I've got a bookcase that's going to be mounted to the wall I've got a vision though <laughs> whether the man who comes to help me put these things up is going to agree that my vision is possible I do not know because <laughs> um, I'm not sure whether it will actually work but you know we'll see um, and that's going to I'm going to put in there all of my books related to what I'm thinking and writing about at that time so um, it's going to be like a revolving space though it's probably going to end up being my feminist library to be honest with you great that's most of the stuff that i write about and get angry about these days um and i would just like to say as we're talking about feminism a very sad day for all of us with the death of ruth bader ginsburg amazing woman yes, did that's so the day much. We were recording what a wonder yes what a woman she was did so much for women and let's not let her legacy go in vain please americans anyway um so we um well i am planning on having that in there which will free up a little bit of space in the lounge for more books. But, you know, we were just discussing the, you know, for Simon, it's never an issue to just get another bookcase. But, yeah, this is the um, obvious solution to me, just get yeah. me, fill every gap. Whereas, you know, I prefer a more minimalist living style. Um, <laughs> and even, you know, I wouldn't call myself a minimalist, but I think compared to, to you, I probably am when it comes to books. Um, yes, that's And fair. so I'm just, yeah, it's the difficulty is, thinking, well, where else could I put a bookcase? So at the moment, I'm sort of operating a loose one-in-one-out policy. Um, and I have, because Oxfam mm -hmm. Books, um, my local Oxfam Books, is only accepting book donations um, during 11 till 4 on Mondays. <laughs> um, and seeing as some of us actually have jobs um, uh, and are unable to take our books between the hours of 11 to 4 on a Monday, um, I'm leaving them outside on the <gasps> step, which is my favourite activity to do at the moment. So what I do is I fill up a box of books, I put it out on the steps. If anyone lives in the vicinity of Islington, then uh, do email me. I will tell you where I live so you can walk past and get some books. Um, oh, and I put them outside and then I have a delightful evening watching from the window as people come by and pick them up. It's wonderful. Oh, fun. And do they mostly go? I've never not had a book go. Even when I think this is really random and literally no one's going to want this, such as the, the book I found that, that I had on Victorian parsonages, um, <laughs> somebody took it. Well, I, see, I put a box of books out at the beginning of lockdown and only two went in like a well, week. Well, you know what? It's because you're not in London. I get a lot of passing yeah, foot traffic. there's not a lot of people in Blackboard. Oh, I should not meant to say yeah. where I live. <laughs> not in this village that I live in. <laughs> it's rather easier to track me down in this village than it is to track you down in London. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people in Islington and I could be anywhere. But um, yeah, it's it's been very fun actually to put those out. So I've got rid of a lot. Um, and I've also been picking up a lot of good stuff in Oxfam lately because people seem to be clearing out. And yeah, of course. today I found... Um, 
most of the volumes in hardback of Virginia Woolf's letters, which I was very wow, lovely. Keep those up, um, and I don't know what else I bought. Actually, I've bought quite a lot. I've been naughty. I have to say, I'm very naughty. Um, but I need to get back on the wagon of reading the books on my shelves. At the moment, I'm reading um, Gloria Steinem collection of essays. You know, fem- feminism. Uh, Wait, so, loving- does that mean you've got as far as S? No, that no. I just bought that the other day. Oh, okay, right. I just I just love everything she writes, so I was just like, I need to read more. I just read her autobiography. Um, and I'm struggling my way through Flights by Olga Tokarczuk. Have you really um, liked Strife? I love that. Something, this that is bodies, a different piece entirely. And okay. it's, you know, it's not a linear, na- well, it, it's kind of a loose narrative of someone talking about travel, but then within that, there is lots of, tiny bits and bobs of information that are sort of loosely connected to the theme and you just get into something and then that's it it's like some stuff is just four sentences long and then you go on to another topic um Mm. so it's it feels like a collection of short stories or sort of snippets and i think that some of the short stories she'll come back to later because i was just the, the, the opening story i was like oh my goodness it is about a a guy who goes on holiday to Croatia with his wife and, and son and they're on a tiny island and his wife and son get out of the car to go to the toilet and they don't come back. Oh, wow. And so, I mean, wonderful. So I'm reading and reading and then I'm like, oh, then this story stops and now I've I've been reading for 150 pages about other random stuff and I'm like, are we going to come back? Are we going to know what happened? I don't know. Um, no, weird. Yeah, so it's a bit odd, really. It's not quite what I expected. I mean, I, it's very well written and it's very interesting, but it's not. I go, I don't go to bed and think, oh, I can't wait to pick it up. So yeah. it's. I'm not sure if I just need to shelve it for a while, or you know, whether it might go in the box to go outside. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, gosh, I'm gonna have to take a little day trip to Islington at some point. Stand outside well, your you window. Know, I'd say anything. I thought that you would want. So you know, uh, don't worry. I have put up my final bookcase in my flat because <laughs> there is now nowhere else I can put a bookcase even well I, I can put spray places I can put bookshelves um onto the wall if I need to but it's the last piece of floor I can put a bookcase on are you on the ground floor no I'm on the oh. first floor <laughs> I mean what if it all goes crashing through the ceiling oh, my mum keeps saying this it'll be fine <laughs> it's, yeah. it's you know it's an old building it's, it's probably had lots of it probably used to have a horse in here or something I don't know <laughs> <laughs> fine um, otherwise, I'm sure Barbara would would love me to join her down there. We could just have a very well, not open. If, not if she, you know, <laughs> wakes up with a bunch of books on, all over her head. <laughs> Your piano must death. be heavier than a lot of bookcases. Yeah, no, true. Um, though my block of flats is made of concrete, so you know, <laughs> mine's probably made of wattle and daub or something. Post war construction. One day you'll come and be, be able to come and visit. Yes, Same. hopefully not too long. I am desperate to leave the confines of, you know, I actually just want to go somewhere that's not England at the moment. I know I went to Scotland, but, you know, it's really <laughs> um, But, you know, we're stuck here for a while. And as you say, we are having very nice weather at the moment, so it, it could be worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about blurbs. Um, yeah. Great topic suggestion, Rachel. Thank you so much. <laughs> Before we start, I should clarify because i've heard americans use the word blurb differently from how we would use it which i don't know if that is american or interesting but i've often heard people refer to what we'd call puff quotes as blurbs um so you know susan hill saying this is the best book i've ever read about the war or something that sort of thing 
Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas we in the UK, we tend to use it to mean the the description of the plot or you know yes. that sort of thing. Um, which I'm going to see if I half remember a fact here. You might, you might <laughs> be able to fill in the gaps. Uh, it, the word comes from a cartoon about Mrs. Belinda Blurb. In I've never heard of that. Punch or something like that. If you want Sounds the full like fact, it. people, go and look it up. <laughs> but it's, yeah. Sounds feasible. Um, but yes, it was a made-up surname in Punch or something like that, which then became widely used for that yeah. sort of thing. Something else the Victorians did for us. <laughs> what didn't they do? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to look it up now. But um, whilst whilst I do that, why don't you kick us off with your your thoughts about? Just your thoughts. <laughs> Just my thoughts. Well, I think it's quite an unusual experience now to pick up a book when you that you know nothing about um, in terms of uh, when you go to the bookshop. Mm. I find because I suppose for me, I'm so tuned into emails from publishers, emails from bookshops. Um, I listen to book programs on the radio and things. I've normally heard of um, most of the stuff that's current even if i'm if, if even if it doesn't interest me or i'm not planning on reading i will know loosely the author i'll know loosely what something's about um so um i can't say very often i these days pick up a book and have absolutely no idea what it's about and think oh i'll, I'll just i'll get it um mm. but what i find what i love is going to secondhand bookshops um and often the blurbs for older books are on dust jackets and many times now these have been lost so when you go to a second-hand bookshop and you pick up a hardback there's there's nothing on it that's going to tell you what it's about um apart from flicking through the book and even then you may well not really be able to get a sense of it from doing that um and that's something i used to do a lot when i lived in new york many moons ago now um and had no money um I would go to the Strand and they used to have a dollar book cart outside, which I noticed last time I went to New York had now become inflation and was like a two and three dollar book <laughs> cart. Um, and a lot of the books on, on the dollar book cart were old hardbacks with, with no dust jackets. So I would just pick up a book, flick through, think, well, this looks kind of interesting. I'll go for it. It's only a dollar. What have I got to lose? Yeah. And I did discover some really good books that way and some writers that, I'd never heard of and you know people that who are often mid-century authors who have just you know fallen out of fashion or whatever um but I remember one book in particular that I found that way was um Mrs. Tarkington by Louis Bromfield and that was a wonderful book that I absolutely loved and um made me want to track down other books by him which I've also enjoyed um, and sometimes in Charing Cross Road, I will also find um, here in London um, books like that where I think, oh, it's so cheap. I'll just pick it up and give it a try. And it's, sometimes it's disappointing. Sometimes, you know, it's you, there are some bad mid-century novels out there. Um, <laughs> but I, I think often it's quite fun to start reading something and have no idea where it's going to go. And or also to sort of read a first page and make a decision based on that rather than the blurb yeah, because yeah. there's so much for me in I look at the style of writing and I either get a feel for that writer and a feel for the character or I don't um and even when I look at the blurb on the back of a book in a bookshop and I read oh you know Jenny's going to marry Bob and then this is going to happen or whatever even if the plot sounds intriguing if I open up the front page and I don't like the style of writing I'm, I'm still not going to buy it 
Ja, ja. Um, I'll quickly update my looking up is Blinda Burb Blurb from apparently an American humorist called Gillette Burgess. Or oh, Gillette what Burgess, they? maybe. Uh, put, put a picture of her on the back. In 1907, so I'm afraid the Victorians had nothing to do with it. It was okay. the Edwardians who did it for us in this case. But um, is that right? Edward? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, I. Oh, and also, as you mentioned, Louis Bromfield, I read The Strange Case of Miss Annie Sprague last year. Have you read that? Oh, no, I haven't, no. It was, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was quite weird. It was about someone who had been found dead with sort of stigmata marks. Oh, gosh. Like what was going on with her. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, yes, like like you, I am very familiar with the reading books, which, you know, is just a red hardback or something. And there might be, some of them have a description in the, fr- in the front, but generally don't have any information. Um, and it's certainly, if I know I'm going to read a book anyway, because it's for book group or because it's been on the shelf for a while and I'm picking it up, I will make sure not to read anything about it before I start reading it. But it is harder, as you say, when you're trying to choose a book. Because um, you can't, if it is a dollar and it, you know, yeah. what's going to happen, why not? But if, yeah, if you're trying, if you're spending a bit more and you've got nothing else to go on, it is, it can be tricky. And um, I, I never go by the first page because I always think authors spend so long making the first page great. I've read so many oh, books which have a, yeah. a, first, like, <laughs> a good five, first five pages and then a dreadful after that. So I flicked a, a bit further in and hope I don't see anything that spoils the plot too much. Um, I did do that a while ago and just saw Simon died written somewhere. It's like, oh, that's ominous. And also because it would be <laughs> <laughs> quite a big plot point. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm certainly not never particularly interested in quote. I know the the sort of blurb that the, the definition of blurb we're not using, but we can broaden it. But more. I'm never particularly interested in quotes from famous people saying that they enjoyed it, not least yeah. because they often um, ruin a, a, be- a beautiful cover design. You know, well, yeah. They've stuck enchanting Joanna Lumley in a corner or yeah. something. So. And also, you know, why do I care what Joanna Lumley thinks about the book? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like why would I? Why would that? Why do you consider their taste to be aligned with mine? It's very strange, isn't it? Who they choose. I know, and they also they never seem to say anything profound. It is always no. just you know, words like enchanting or something. Um, and I mean, sometimes it will put me off. Say if it, you know the Daily Mail, like said, I probably won't, uh. <laughs> won't get it. Um, or you know, if some if a writer I really don't like says it's good, then I mean, there's no no necess- not necessarily meaning the book it won't be good either. But it does it does put me off? Um, yeah. Uh, and blurbs themselves, I mean, they trying to think. Uh, they often try to appeal to as many. Well, they are trying to appeal to as many people as possible, I guess. Yeah. Um, and particularly more recent ones where they are more advertising copy than any sort of useful summary. Um, I just I don't know. They find them either much more fatuous than the book is going to be, uh, or. Give, they often just give away things that don't happen till three quarters of the way through the book. Yeah, I find that really annoying when that happens. And I, I also think there is a real um, issue with some books, them trying to market books as being a genre that they're just not. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, often they do that with the design of the cover in the first place. That then you read the blurb and it you know makes it out to be some kind of I don't know murder mystery and then you read it and it's like well actually no it isn't at all or it's like they make it out to be a romance and it's not yeah, yeah. it's like when they rebranded all of Barbara Pym's novels to make them look like chiclet yeah. and it's like actually 
for somebody who just wants an easy beach read, this this isn't that. And yet, by the, from reading the blurb and from looking at the front cover, you're making it out to be something it's not. So even though I understand what you're doing is trying to get more people to pick it up off the shelf, what you are going to end up with is people buying it, going home, being disappointed, and then they're never going to come back to you as a publisher again. So it's kind of counterintuitive in many ways. And yes, it is I... annoying when you think, oh, this book sounds amazing. I'm really excited to read it. And then you get home and it, you just think, oh, it bears no relation. It's like those terrible film trailers where yeah. all of the good lines are in the trailer. Or um, I don't know if you've seen the trailer for the new Rebecca film. I have, yeah. Um, which is just the most ridiculous load of nonsense I've ever seen <laughs> in my life, making it out to, to actually be a proper murder mystery. It's like, well, that's not what it is at all. Um, it did look beautiful, though. I'm quite excited to watch it. No, I'm not excited about it at all. I really... I've, I think it's going to be an absolute travesty. The only thing I'm excited about is Kristen Scott Thomas. I was going to say, Kristen Scott Thomas is inspired yeah, You can do anything, as far as I'm concerned. I don't mind. But the others, I mean, I'm just like, no. They are both far too beautiful and stylish to play those characters. But yeah, yes. and the guy is far too young. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the shots of Cornwall look lovely. Oh, they do, yes. I mean, you can't go wrong with Cornwall. Um, life motto. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just <laughs> I just read Nightingale Wood by Stella Gibbons. Oh yeah, um, which I really enjoyed. It's uh, but like you were saying for Pim, I don't know if you've seen the Virago edition that came out I don't know ten years ago maybe, but it's so it's got this sort of cartoony nineteen twenties yes. sort of things, and it looks really Christmassy as well, and it's just. Um, it's a, really missells what it. It looks like this Confessions of a Shopaholic sort of type covers, basically. Yeah. Um, and that is not not what it is. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's I guess that's more cover than blurb. I can't remember what the blurb said, but it certainly missells it. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have, certainly wouldn't have looked at it twice if it hadn't been by Stella Givens. Um, yeah. I think what's what's quite interesting as well is that blurb has changed over time, and if you look at um, blurb from earlier novels, sort of, you know, particularly 1920s and, and maybe up to around the 70s or so. The blurb is just as much about the author and their previous books mm-hmm. as it is about the book that you're reading. And often they'll tell you hardly anything about the book that you're reading and it will all be, you know, this is the, the amazing book, new book from about, you know, bankruptcy from this person who wrote this and this and this and this about this and this and this and um you know and they've been writing this book for 10 years and so on and so forth and I find that quite interesting because I suppose people were expected to to read the book on the strength of previous stuff and not be too worried about what it was about because the I guess the idea was well if you like this author then you'll like anything they write um which is orange yeah orange penguins only had bio biographies yeah. of the people in the back which i mean they tended to have a blurb on the inside cover but there's a shop in oxford that for some reason puts every sells lots and lots of vintage penguins puts them all in cellophane um oh. and so you, you can't look at the blurb <laughs> you just have to base <laughs> off a photo of the author smoking a pipe and the fact that he went to eat and or something and, and hope for the best but um I, we, I remember years ago reading um Asleep in the Sun by Adolfo Boy Caceres, which had a New York Review of Books classics reprint, which normally I can't fault those reprints in any way. They're beautiful and lovely books and things. But that, that one, the blurb, got the plot wrong. Oh. <laughs> it was, it's all about... Oh, no, I can't remember now. But um, Something about a woman and a dog's heart being transposed or something. But um, 
whatever it said on the back about that plot did not happen. I was doing it for a book club, and I was went there thinking, did I get this wrong? Did this? Not, did I miss this? And everyone asked, no, it wasn't there. They, someone who wrote that had obviously read a summary somewhere else and got a bit confused or something. Because I didn't know who normally writes them. I, mean, I know no. I had a friend whose daughter was, worked as an, in editorial, and, I, and, sh, and she wrote the blurb for the new fiction she's doing and was horrified at the idea that it would be considered marketing in, in the way that people who work in editorial are always horrified to be considered to have anything to do with marketing. He says, <laughs> as someone who used to work in marketing and publishing and has a, has a, <laughs> has a chip <laughs> on his shoulder. But um, it is, I mean, it is marketing copy, basically. It's just well, yes, I mean, it's like nice yeah. yeah. So, I mean, do you, would you still buy a book if it didn't, if you knew nothing about it? You would, wouldn't you? I certainly would if it was um, affordable. I think if I was in a second-hand bookshop and it was more than £10 and I didn't know anything, I didn't know the author, I probably wouldn't take that gamble. Yeah, no, likewise. I think I would have a limit on that, yeah. Yeah. Whereas if it's, you know, £2, £3, then, uh, then I'd... I enjoy the the mystery and the adventure of seeing seeing what happens, yeah. or you know, of buying it and putting it on my shelf and never reading it, which is much <laughs> more likely. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, for example, the talk of the devil that I mentioned earlier, I I have read his a biography of him, so I should have known more about it than I did. But um, the actual book is just it's just a black hardback. It's got a sticker on saying "Boots Book Lovers Library" from back when oh, it used to be part that. of Boots Library. Um, but yeah, no other information. So I've definitely been going in. Going in blind. Um, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can hear me, plaintive meowing in the background. Yes. I'm not sure quite what I, it's about. I heard it. <laughs> and you've got a whole audience of sympathetic people, hi, Greens. I'm giving you your tea. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, and so do you do you read the blurbs when they are there in a shop? Yeah, like often I'll go into Waterstones and go and have a browse and, you know, they've always got, or foils, um, they've always got a display of like the latest stuff. And if I haven't heard of it, or I've heard of it, but I've heard of the author and I'm not quite sure what, what it's about, I normally will read the inside cover and I mean, most of the time I'm like, nah, not for me. Um, but yeah, I do like to have a look, but it's very rare that I'll go into the bookshop force to browse pick up something i hadn't heard anything about read the blurb and think oh i'll buy that for sure um, yeah, i'm yeah. not often completely won over by an unknown author or a book i hadn't already been thinking about um the only time i probably am is when i'm looking for a gift for somebody okay and then i'm kind of like well it's not i'm not having to read it so i can take a gamble yeah um but um <laughs> it's yeah, I think often I, I will buy things. I don't mind taking a chance on things, but I would normally, even if I hadn't read the blurb, I would I would have to know the author already, probably. Yeah, I think the main way I use blurbs is to find out if it's historical fiction or not. <laughs> so if I look at the first line, because historical fiction almost always tells you the, the year or the century that it's published in the first line of the blurb. Yeah. And, and then I can put it back on the shelf and move on. Such a shame. <laughs> so it's like, it's 1880, Ireland. It's like, nope, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> back on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I guess... It's not really, it's not the same as Blur, but in reviews, do you, we might have already talked about reviews in a previous episode, but it's all part of like learning about the book before you, yeah. before you get it. No, do I don't you, really do pay much attention, do I don't pay much attention to reviews, to be honest. I mean, I know what I like, 
And I mean, I will often read. I I might read uh, reviews if it's I, the only time I will is if it's a non-fiction book, and I will check beforehand if the experts in that area think uh, think yeah. that it's reliable. Um, and if people say, oh, you know, this is a load of tripe, or you know, not very well researched, or whatever, then then I won't I won't get it. But uh, fiction-wise, no, I like to make my own mind up. I mean, I'm I'm often if everybody's to I, I will. Um, when we talk about reviews, I would be more likely to go with a friend recommending it to me than yeah. the, a newspaper review. Like if a colleague at work is like, oh, you've got to read this or something, then I'll be like, oh, okay, I'll get it. Um, but often, you know, I, on the strength of a – a book review might make me think, oh, I'll keep an eye out for that or I'll have yeah. a look at it next time I go into the bookshop. But it's not going to make me go straight online and order the book, no. Yeah, I think book bloggers are quite good in general about not giving away too much of the plot and reviews. Yeah. So I'm happy to read those, and that might might well get me buying a book. But um, yeah, I'm like bloggers yeah, and people yeah. who I trust. Like every time Darlene is uh, on Cozy Books, is says something mm, about a book, mm. I might write that to it. I'm going to get that. She was wrote about. I can't remember what book the other day. Oh, Hamnet, and I went straight to the bookshop and bought it because I thought, well, if Darlene says it's that uh, good, I'm going to get it. Maggie Farrell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and. I, mean, do I, I don't think I ever really read fiction reviews in anywhere else, so I don't know how much the plot they give away in, in The Guardian or something. But hmm. They don't tend to give too much away. I think the the worst culprits are film reviewers, really. They really do oh, yeah. give lots of mm. points away, and I'm like, oh, for goodness sake, might as well not bother now. But no, I think I feel like they tend to be, you know, and then something terrible happens, and then yeah. you know, <laughs> that's it. Because, so, yeah, so often reading a, a blurb, I've... They, they just, I don't know what their rules are for what they can give away, but so often I've looked at it after 50 pages thinking it's safe to look at it now because they won't have given anything else yeah. away beyond this. And, yeah, they'll say, after after the so-and-so dies, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. well, that's not I feel, I feel like they shouldn't give away anything that's more than a quarter of a way through the book. Yeah, I mean, ideally, I think they should not give away anything at all, but I guess that, that's, it makes it impractical. Yeah. <laughs> this book is set in island the end <laughs> um yeah so on the whole blurb or no blurb well i like to know what i'm getting into um but then i also think it's quite an adventure when you don't so um, i'd probably say let's go for no blurb why not yeah, I think it's probably the only area of my life that I take any risks. So I'm gonna, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say no blurb as well for that that thrill that I get when <laughs> I don't know what a book's gonna be about. Open it. No, well, it's just new pleasures in life, isn't it? Mm. Um, normally we have a middle section where we people will send in questions about books or authors or whether this is start or something. We don't have any now, as oh. far as I know. So if you have any, get in touch at teabooks at gmail dot com. Any questions you'd like us to answer. Um, sorry if you already have and I've forgotten it if, if, if that's true then please prompt me um, and then on to Kazuo Shiguri Kazuo Shiguri um, can I introduce the rains of the day because I don't remember very much about Never Let Me Go yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah it's the rains of the day published in the late 80s is set in the mid 50s where uh, Stevens a butler um, is going off on holiday although a lot of the book is in in flashback. He's worked in Darlington Hall for many years, many of which with 
Lord Darlington, but it's now um, now run by a sort of a, a younger, rich American sort of nouveau riche whose name I can't remember, um, and he's definitely seen the, the change that's happened in in how the place is run. It's much smaller staff than it used to be. He was there in its glory days, and his dad was a butler before him, so. Um, he speaks. He thinks a lot about his dad, particularly his dad getting older. Thinks a lot about the people he used to work with, including the lady whose name I also can't remember. Miss What's the housekeeper called Miss Kenton. Thank you, the housekeeper who he whom he is intending to visit whilst he's um, off on his holiday. Uh, he doesn't get there for quite a long long way through the book, but he thinks a lot about uh, their past together. Uh, but what it was like to work with her. He he is very keen to be one of... Well, he doesn't consider himself one of the great butlers, but he's very admiring of them and trying to emulate them, um, among whom he numbers his father. Uh, and it largely comes down to dignity. And in the background of all of this, he's looking back to the um, pre-First World War um, negotiations that, that happened around the table of that house, which he sort of... It was always quite... A, elusive uh, in the narrative you can sort of piece together what might have been going on um do i mean before the first world war or before the second world war that's before some it's, war it's before the second world war second it's, war, it's sort of in the, in the it's 20s. sort of appeasement sort of thing isn't yeah. it um yes there we go over to you for never let me go okay so never let me go um is set in the modern day well of when it was written in the 90s um it probably isn't that modern anymore, is it? <laughs> I Perfect. think 2000s. Wasn't it 2006 or something? I don't know. I feel wrong? like the book is set in the 90s. Okay, I'll look at it while you keep talking. Okay, I'm pretty sure the book's set in the 90s. Anyway, um, and it's about some uh, girl who was a carer, and she tells about the life, her life growing up in a residential school um, where the children are told that they're special, but it's all sort of, you know, very secretive and they don't really know why and they don't have much interaction with the outside world. And they all know that when they grow up, they will have a particular destiny. They will be carers and then they will be, um, they will, they will give donations. And um, you gradually realise as the book goes on what the situation really is. Um, and it's quite a it's again it's a little bit like the remains of the day and somebody looking back over the course of their life and the relationships that they've had and the things that they regret and the things that they haven't done um and it's yeah it's a it's an interesting book in the way that it's the central i think the difficulty for to describe to say anything about it is that the central thing that you discover is so important to understanding the book but i don't want to say it because obviously it will ruin the plot for anyone who doesn't know but because there was a film of it i think a lot of people do know the the twist without having actually read the book but um yes maybe yeah. we can talk about that later later in yeah. the episode with with due warnings yes so that's the the premise it's a uh, somebody he's he's been caring for other people and looking back over her life and um thinking about the things that she should or shouldn't have done and regrets and things there's a little bit of uh yeah nostalgia and in there that's kind of links the two books even though they're very different and yes it was published in 2005 but maybe oh, right. well have been set a bit earlier than that yes um so what's your history of reading ishiguri so i've only read these two novels okay me too. um 
I first read The Remains of the Day many years ago when I was at university. And in fact, and I just reread it last week. Um, and I bought the copy when I was at university from the university secondhand bookstore. Um, and it still had the thing inside from there. And I had a little nostalgic moment. Um, and I remember reading it and thinking that it was absolutely superb at the time. And I was quite worried that on rereading, I would feel differently. Um, I didn't. That's, that's fine. And Good. then <laughs> Never Let Me Go, I've been meaning to read for a very long time. But then I was kind of put off reading it because I knew the twist, thanks to the film. Okay. Um, and I thought, well, what's the point? Because that's surely the whole premise of the book. And I'm, I'm, it's not going to be fun to read. It's a bit like watching The Sixth Sense when you already know that he's dead. <laughs> uh, Spoilers. Spoiler. <laughs> Um, but so I read it a few months ago when I was reading through my shelves and I got to I and I was like, well, do you know what? Now is the time. We're going to finally read it. And I did. And, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. And I think Ishiguro has a very particular style of writing. And I would like to read more of him to see whether that carries over into his other books as well. Cause he's got that very restrained, um, way of writing. And he seems to, from these books anyway, I don't know if it's the same in his others have an interest in looking at characters who are emotionally repressed and, and writing books in the voice of characters who are emotionally repressed. And you see in the interactions of the, well, in the descriptions of the interactions of others outside of, of them, the reality of the situation that they're unable to see or express themselves, which I think is a very clever way of writing. And he does, um, he does do that technique very well. But I, I'm, like I say, I've only read these two, so I don't know if that's a pattern or not. Yes, I read Never Let Me Go from my book group in probably 2008, 2009. I think it was just before the film came out. Right. um, Which I have not seen. Uh, And yeah, I I read Remains of the Day a few weeks ago for this, for the first time. Oh, for the first time? For the first time. So I've had it for quite a few years, but I've not read it before. Um, And I think I've got The Unconsoled, but I've also not read that. And... I, well, I may as well now I kind of summarize. The reason I hadn't read it for such a long time is because I was so underwhelmed by Never Let Me Go. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that was largely because I knew of him, his reputation. So many people had told me what a good writer he was. Um, and when I read Never Let Me Go, I just found the prose so bland that I was, you know, mm. I was expecting this great prose stylist. Um, and the story was interesting. I mean, again, I won't give away at least yet, what what the plot was, but sort of there's a dystopian element to it, um, which is not a genre I rush towards, but I'm quite happy to to read that. I thought the plot was really did work well, and you know the characters were interesting, but I just found the writing so workmanlike, um, which again might just be because of my expectations beforehand, mm-hmm. um, rather than anything actually to do with him. Um, what what do you think of it in terms of writing quality? Well, never let me go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, it does have a very deadpan quality to it. But I felt while I was reading it that that was in order to reflect the very emotionless character who was um, narrating the novel. You know, she she's not okay. an emotional character, so she's not going to have emotional prose. Um, and her way of looking at the world is very simplistic and again that's reflected in the prose and I, I think that is something that's quite difficult to do is to write a novel in the voice of a character like that while still making it something compelling enough that people want to read and descriptive enough for people to feel that they have 
and you know and a good understanding and a good feeling for the setting and the situation that they're in um i found it a very enjoyable novel i very much enjoyed reading it i very much um i couldn't really put it down to be honest i was very drawn into it i found um you know the plot very convincing and i did find the connections between the characters i found it interesting you know it was an interesting story and it took i haven't watched the film um so Mm. i didn't know the, the, the entirety of the story i just knew the twist um so i was intrigued to see where it where it went and i was invested in it hugely up until the end but i didn't have any emotional connection to the characters and i I wanted to i wanted to feel emotional i wanted to feel angry for them i wanted to feel upset at what happened to them but i didn't really feel anything and that i thought was because it was too unemotional the prose like i didn't never felt like i cared about the characters i cared about the story i was interested in the story but i didn't care about the characters and that for me left me cold really yeah okay yeah i definitely had a very different response to the remains of the day um which for some reason in my head i must have confused with the english patient which i've not read or seen (laughs) but but i guess the films must have come out vaguely similar time um are they both merchant ivory i don't know but yes the remains of the day definitely is so um and and so when it started, it's like, oh, this isn't, isn't what I thought this book was about. <laughs> because, again, I hadn't read the blurb before I started. Um, and, yeah, as you say, he is, um, Stevens, the, the narrator and the main character, is very emotionally repressed and is also very proud of that because he believes that's professionally what he should be. Yeah. Sort of the great, and he was, you know, very much admired that in his father's, as a, as a butler in his prime, how he set aside any of his personal feelings for, for dedication to his employers um and yet i much more than never let me go i felt that deep undercurrent of feeling underneath that you know you know i guess there are two ways of doing a repressed emotional character one where the reader can see what the emotions are they're just the, the character isn't imagined to them the other where it's so repressed that you don't see anything yeah. under the service um and yeah i thought i mean the depictions of that interwar big big house big big stuff periods obviously all sort of thing i laugh up but i thought it was really um nuanced stuff with his when his dad got older and was working in a much more inferior position um and obviously not very good at it because he was getting old heartbreaking stuff and i think ishiguro handles that also well because he never says you know the narrator the the, um stevens never says how heartbreaking he found it or is never emotional about it he just reports what happened um and you're just left to see the devastating effect that had on him um when he's recounting sort of petty conversations with miss miss kenton kenton yes um (laughs) uh about petty on her half i guess or just him refusing to to answer her on a human level um just being very proper about about his father about maids who need to be sent away all that sort of thing um there's just so much going on under the surface and it's all it's all there even though it's not mentioned in in a really clever way yeah um yeah i mean for me it's probably one of the best books i've ever read and it and it hasn't oh, wow. it didn't change my mind reading it the second time i think it's an absolute masterpiece and it, you know i text you when i finished i mean i yeah, it yeah. Just sort of <laughs> was just crying my eyes out at the end and i just thought i I just, you, I can't bear it. 
I, I can't, I, you, you go through the whole book and, and you're like, well, he's, he's just got all of this under the surface and he just cannot express himself. And I mean, I was, I first went at the beginning when his father died and he went, he, he was like, no, I've, I've got to go back downstairs and carry on with my work. And one of mm-hmm. the guests mm-hmm. says to him, are you okay? And, um, it's because he's crying and he hasn't even acknowledged in the text mm-hmm. that he's crying. Um, and, you know, the same when Miss Kenton, um, I, I suppose I probably shouldn't say there's too much, but, um, yes. <laughs> and, you know, the whole way through the book as well, you know, he's, he's going on this visit to see Miss Kenton. He's left the house many years before, um, she because yeah. to get married and, and, he he makes it out initially that she has heavily implied in the letter that she wants to come back, that she's unhappy and wants to come back. And then, you know, regularly he keeps saying, you know, well, actually, when I look at the letter again, I, I realise I may perhaps have read more into this than than I should have done. And that's when, you know, you can see so clearly that he's, of course, he's in love with her. He's always been in love with her and the way that they mm. and just I mean, at the ending, I can't even talk about it. I mean, it's just too much. It's just the most. <laughs> emotional and beautiful book and so so utterly sad so utterly sad and, and also but I should also say often quite funny yeah so, very funny yeah very, uh, when he's talking about so how funny. to banter with people it's like yeah. he's making notes on how he can be better at bantering and you yeah. see his sort of attempts to be to be pally with or not pally but you know to, to use as banter is the word he often use, yeah. uses and, and how how terribly it goes yeah but it is it, it is there is a lot of humor in it and it's a very entertaining novel but it's it's also there's it's just so clever there's so much beneath the surface you know the reality of what's really going on with his employer who's working with the nazis essentially um which he doesn't realize and um his kind of obsession with being the perfect butler and whatever else and mm. thinking about you know well what about you and your life and and what you want for yourself and that desire to just it's that generation, I suppose, of, of work being, of, of, of working class people, you know, what else did they have? And that sense of all that might have been and if he'd just said how he felt and it's just, you know, like, oh, I just can't, it's what honestly the most heartbreaking thing book I've ever read, really, just so heartbreaking. And it, it's, so, it's just so cleverly written, so cleverly written. And his voice, he captures his voice and his personality so perfectly. Um, you just get such a strong sense of him as a character. I felt like I could see him the whole time and hear his voice. Um, and just mm-hmm. imagine the fury of Miss Kenton at dealing with him. Somebody yeah. so unable to express any type of emotion, even though he's feeling it. Um, and we say you never get the sense that she's a bad housekeeper. She's just, no. she's, she doesn't completely, um, arrogate her personality to it no and she's you know she wants more from life than that and i love her character that feeling that she's always railing against things and when he says to her you know well you've left your husband several times and she's like well you know i always hoped for something more kind of thing and it's Mm. you know that also sense of there's so few opportunities for women at that time and um her not being able to find an outlet to truly satisfy herself. Um, something I think is always difficult in historical novels, which are looking backwards. I mean, it's not that historical, but you know, is set in the fifties. Looking back, is that is to make a period from the past feel very modern. So for yeah. him, like the nineteen fifties is such a, such a modern time where life yeah. has really changed. Obviously, to us, the nineteen fifties was a while ago. Yeah, um, and I think he does that 
really well. It is really hard to to achieve that, and but we we sort of feel that fish out of water thing of someone who's used to yes. pre Second World War life being there in this new era. Yeah, and him him struggling to adjust as well and realise that you know actually the days of being a butler are gone and he's got to adjust and change and you sense get that sense of you know nostalgia for the good old days um when he had all these staff and you would just also have that sadness of knowing that he's in this big house and there's nobody else there with him anymore and the life that he had is gone and nobody will continue that life once he's died and it's for me it's just that sense of what was it all for you know and so we talk about the twist in Never Let Me Go now. Yes. Um, so if you are very keen not to hear the twist, now's the time to, to stop listening for a bit. Yes. Um, but Rachel, do you, want, do you want to explain it to us? So essentially they are clones and they have been created to act as um, donors, organs for mm. um, their for people. So the idea is that they exist so that other people will be able to live for as long as possible. Um, and they're aware of that from a fairly young age um and they know they go through phases so when you leave school you get a couple of years to just enjoy your life and do what you want and then you have to become a carer and then which is where you look after um people who have started to make donations and you make Mm -hmm. normally three donations before you either die or or complete um, or your yes, yes or you yes. you know you complete um and so yeah that's the that's the concept but it it doesn't have the power that i think he wanted it to have yeah the things that so there are a couple of things that did have real emotional weight to me that have stayed with me um and weirdly it's not the fact that they're clones and have to do all of that um it's so there's a couple who believe that they'll be able to defer when they have to start donating if they can prove they're really in love yes um which turns out to be a fabrication it's like a rumor that went around i found that really moving that they had this sort of you know goal that they're trying to prove that turned out to be based on nothing yeah um which is in some ways a bit, a bit like what stevens you know is trying to get to this, be this ultimate butler and actually that's pointless but um it's that whole hubris thing i guess yeah uh and also the idea that so they do all this artwork, which they they went they have all these theories about why they're doing it, and it turns out to be this this school these school yes. teachers were trying to do it to prove that they were you know we had humanity they had souls yeah. and I can't remember if he talks about souls but um but yeah to show that they're not just clone beings they have their own their lives and it, it was an experiment that failed so yeah the actual cloning and and harvesting of organs thing was really interesting but it didn't have much emotional weight for me Um, whereas it was the sort of the peripheral things did yeah I didn't feel sort of sad for any of the characters and I think also because none of them really railed against their fate at all there was no sense of you know them saying this isn't right this isn't fair what can we do for do about this I mean and if anyone did say anything it was all dealt with very quickly there was no sense Mm. of you know this great looming tragedy coming that they were fighting against or felt great sadness about or had dreams and goals that they had great sadness about not being able to fulfill. I mean, one of the characters wants to work in an office, but that's it. (laughs) So it just kind of, for me, it just falls flat as a, as a book. Um, but which is a great shame because when you think how absolutely brilliant never let me go is, 
I just I felt like it should be he should have been able to pull off the same feat again, but for me he just doesn't. Yeah, I think maybe it was so into the high concept and it's sort of yeah he's better when he's on solid ground. But again, we've only got these two to go on. So yes, I mean he knows. Yeah, and speaking as someone who is a clone himself, oh <laughs> um, yeah, uh, being an identical twin, I I'm always interested to read about what people think about cloning and what that means for a personality because i mean there's always a thing for whenever cloning's brought up in sci-fi it's like the, they're either exactly the same personality as the person they're being cloned or they are personalityless or something so this is yeah. interesting that it doesn't assume that people who are clones were, are either of those things um I mean, no, I it does give them plenty of. They all have plenty of humanity. Yeah. I mean, that was also something that was never really. There was so much that was never not really explored in the book at all. Like people know that they exist. So, but how do they accept this? And you know, why do they accept this? And why did any teacher go and work at that school? Because the teachers aren't clones, so they know what they're doing. And I just thought this doesn't ring true to me. I just don't. I don't. I didn't really believe the concept. I mean, that's the only bit of me, the part that does ring true to me, I think, is that, I mean, like, we know that you know, North Korean labor camps exist, or even the tension centers in America exist, and people work there. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of evil things that happen that it turns out that people being aware of them doesn't make any difference. Yeah, I, don't. Uh, uh, I don't know. I think if this was a thing that could happen people would feel a bit bad and write opinion pieces in The Guardian every couple of years, but otherwise it would just happen. <gasps> no, I'd be chaining <laughs> myself to the gates. Well, I mean, I hope I hope you're right. So, wow. Maybe I'm more cynical about the sort of banality of evil. <laughs> I hope yeah. so. Um, so, but, I mean, it's quite obvious what your favourite was. Yes, and indeed yours. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, I mean, we're both I, I have going to with the say the yeah. that it's, it has to be one of the most powerful books I've ever read. Yeah, I mean, I didn't love it as much as you did. I did really like it, but um, but yeah, still an easy win for me. Oh, yeah. It's just, you know, harrowing. Um, so yeah, if, if, if there are other Ishiguru fans out there, let us know. Particularly knowing which ones we refer, which one we refer of these two, where we should go next. Yes, I would be interested to know because I've got a friend who really likes Ishiguro, but she said there are a lot of of duff ones in there. So, okay. yeah, you've got to choose carefully. I think I've heard good things about the buried giant. I think. Oh, okay. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm now trying to remember if I've kept the unconsoled. Somebody once bought it for me, um, who I worked with because they were so upset I didn't like Never Let Me Go. They bought it for me and said, you should read this. And obviously I didn't. Uh (laughs) Um, One day. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, um, it's another of those lovely episodes where a complete agreement, um, such harmony. Yes. Um, In the next episode, we will be talking, uh, finally, after years of mentioning it in almost every episode, Gilead by Marilyn Robinson (laughs) and also Home by Marilyn Robinson. So I'm very excited about it. And I've just reread them both. So I'm ready to go. Well, I need to get cracking. Yeah, hopefully I won't have forgotten them again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All the books and authors mentioned are at stuckinabook.com. You can find Rachel at booksnob.wordpress.com. Remember to do that bit. (laughs) Very good. Well done. And we will speak to you next time. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.